Hello again, all my gorgeous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Glow West Podcast, where we're here to chat all about the world of sex, sexuality, and the body. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and as always, I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Check Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, me, the Sex Podcast. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It does help to keep the mics running. Or if you want, please pop over to Apple and rate and review. If you want to get in touch with the podcast, the Instagram and Twitter is at Glow West Podcast. So today we were talking about something that is, I suppose, a product of the modern digital age, but also the misogyny that underlines it has been there for quite a long time. And this is the topic of slut pages, which again, newish topic, but we're here to dive all about into it and I have the perfect guest for it today. So today I'm chatting to Megan Maz, who is a assistant professor in human development and family studies at Michigan State University. She received her PhD in 2016 from the Pennsylvania State University and her award-winning research, recognized by the American Psychological Association, focuses on adolescent sexual development. Specifically, she investigates how experiences of social media, sexting, and online pornography play a bi-directional role in the development of attitudes and behavior related to sexuality and gender. And as a former health educator turned academic, she's been training teachers, social workers, and school counselors on pornography use amongst teens for the last 10 years. Her goal is to prevent sexual harassment and violence through education that deconstructs harmful cultural norms and promotes mutually pleasurable and respectful sexual experiences. She also publishes academic journals and her work is in mass media outlets such as the Huffington Post, CNN and Salon. So Megan, thanks Mill for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Amel, for coming along. I think, you know, your work is just so valuable and very necessary, you know, in these current ages. So I suppose let's let's start from scratch. What on earth is a slow page? <laughs> you know, I wish I, I wish I didn't know. I wish that they didn't exist. Unfortunately, um, we've we've come to learn that they are referred to as a for um, a variety of different terms but slut pages seems to be the most consistent and it's any kind of online platform, usually a social media page. Sometimes it's a website. Sometimes it's an email listserv where people share nude images. And by people, we usually mean cisgendered heterosexual males uh, share images of women and girls without their consent, usually nude as a way to either bond together or to comment on images and all around um, what experts would usually identify as sexual harassment. Okay, so lovely uh, light topic there for for today's podcast, but that's um, just horrific. And I suppose Irish listeners would would maybe be aware of this through the Discord leak that happened in um, around October, November of 2020, when it was hundreds of thousands of images of children and young girls were uh, young women um, were leaked on a Discord server that men had set up around, you know, around Ireland. And, you know, you could specifically search for girls or search by county and it just it prompted this the speeding up of laws to deal with image-based abuse. Thankfully, that was one one part of it. But like talk me through the psychology of this. I know you said like people do it as a bonding exercise. I mean, 
could people not play football instead? You know, do some other healthy bonding activity. Right, right. So, you know, um, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, there was something called Girls Gone Wild, um, which I'm, which became popular across the globe. Um, and it was all about, you know, going to new cities, Miami, different college campuses, you know, university campuses and um, videoing, you know, usually college women or young women uh, flashing their breasts or dancing provocatively. Um, and so there was something that was like geographically specific that was interesting to the audience of this product, Girls Gone Wild. And I think with the evolution of social media, where, you know, and even the evolution of um, tube site porn, where anyone with a camera could share, you know, nude images, could be a pornographer themselves, that perhaps this is where slut pages were sort of born or this concept of, um, you know, let's collect a bunch of pictures of, you know, the girls from Eastside High or, you know, the girls of whatever for sorority or university. Um, sometimes there's college specific porn um, websites and, um, you know, challenges, competitions. And so there's something unique about wanting to collect images from a certain group or geographic location of people that makes us suspect that there is something about identity and bonding um, similar to perhaps, you know, being on a team or being a part of something compared to saying, you know, going on Pornhub or some other website where you could just randomly see non-consensually shared images and videos of, of women and, and girls typically, you know, engaged in, in sexual acts or, you know, nude images. So um, that's, so one of the reasons why we think it's a bonding thing is because of that geographic identity specific kind of okay. feature. Um, and, and then there's something called peer or male peer support theory. And okay. And it's this idea that, you know, under patriarchy um, and heteronormativity, boys and men can unfortunately bond over, you know, perpetrating misogyny or even violence as a way to sort of assert masculinity and affirm masculinity in each other. Mm, which is very troubling also but if we go back to the girls gone wild stuff there for anyone who doesn't hasn't watched it it's it's essentially you know these guys what's his name joe something yeah i was um, trying to think of i i know his first name is joe i can't i, I know he, he hangs out with like kim kardashian spent oh, time yeah. at his house before um and that, jennifer aniston and brad pitt were really friends um, yeah, like he he's yeah he's definitely an interesting character to say the least um but so girls come out Francis Francis there you go yeah so they would go to like you know a street where there's tons of drunk college students and they're all like oh everything's great and they're like here we'll you know flashes for the camera and stuff but there's something in that so obviously those girls um signed release forms but the ethics of like getting an extremely drunk person to sign a release form 
like there's such a huge element of consent there. So it's not just bonding over images of naked girls. It's extremely dubiously taken images of girls. So it's not like it's not necessarily bonding over pictures of, you know, Stormy Daniels or, you know, some established porn star who is consented to those images being released in the world. These are drunken girls who may not really actually know what they're doing at that time because they're intoxicated. So that that's a huge element, right, of like it, of the violence part of that. Yeah. And, and that's what makes this really problematic, right? Um, I would assume that there are some slut pages that perhaps, you know, I'll just theoretically assume that there's some there that have, you know, everyone's over 18 or maybe they were all sober when the image was taken, but the, but um, the likelihood of, of them consenting to the sharing of those images is one other thing. But what is most alarming to me is that they are likely mostly images, and I use the term mostly, that are um, intentionally, I use that term intentionally, that are taken when somebody is inebriated, so they can't consent. And so maybe even, so really their documentation of sexual assault. So I be first became interested in this because I was a graduate student at Penn State, and one of the fraternities there, um, their they called it a listserv. They initially had th this slut page, although I don't know if they would have referred to it as a slut page, um, on a Facebook group. It was a Facebook group. Um, and one of their former members got, was trying to report it to the police for years, saying they're sharing images of, of women who are passed out naked, their bodies are propped in um, humiliating positions. They could be images or videos of them actually being sexually assaulted. And the police didn't do anything. And so they, they eventually had somebody tell them to take the Facebook group down, but then it emerged as an email listserv. And, um, I was working with undergrad research assistants at the time, and I was like, "Is this a thing? Is this common? Because this is this is really bad. This is not just like you're saying. Let's just like baseball cards sharing images of yeah. different kinds of boobs or something." Yeah. And they said, "Well, I think I yeah." They're like, "Well, every fraternity has one," and I guess we just kind of think it's funny. These were sorority girls. Okay. And so I think there is this element of it's just supposed to be funny. It's not supposed to be mean. But that's because misogyny is sort of the air we breathe in yeah. many of these spaces. They don't even re recognize the violence inherent in that. No, and even like the language, you know, image-based sexual abuse is such a new term. And I think people have separated digital sexual violence from in-person sexual violence for so long that it, it's, you know, if you don't have the language, you can't name it as sexual assault, you know, so that's kind of an issue with that rating thing. Like, I mean, that's what you mentioned Facebook there. But that's essentially what Facebook was set up as, you know, it was like rating your class colleagues and all like that kind of rate 
rate your um yeah the hot or not rate yeah like that was such a, an integral part of of college stuff for so many people but obviously it's just massively escalated to the non-consensual part of things I mean like what do what do the colleges how do they respond to this surely I would like to think they would take a harsh role but obviously I know exactly what you're going to say unfortunately yeah so uh I'm not sure what's happening now at Penn State but at the time um there were criminal charges brought against some members of the fraternity okay that's way um, more than I thought was going to happen. Yeah, so yeah. that's good. Charges, okay. but no actual convictions, even oh, though there's okay. like literal proof. Um, the, the chapter was required to, to close down, um, but nothing happened. I mean, the the boys there didn't get kicked out of school. They didn't, they weren't suspended. You know, they were, their um, fraternity chapter dissolved. But other than that, there was... Um, no ramifications that I am aware of. And we did some research when we published the, the paper because that's part of our introduction. Um, and, it, and it is the reason why I was interested in this topic at the time. Um, and so, but I'd be happy to know if anybody knows out there <laughs> if something did happen um, in terms of legal, legal ramifications, then, yeah. then I can make a correction, but there aren't any that we could find. No. And even, do you think then, obviously that was a few years back, like where are we now in, in 2021? Like are people actually um, taking that seriously or are, like, is it being named as image-based abuse? So I'm, I'm not sure about in, in what's happening in Ireland or the UK. I know in the US there are state-specific um, laws around you know, what were first, what was first called revenge pornography now is image-based sexual abuse. And we're realizing that image-based sexual abuse tends to work because semantically it makes sense. Um, they are, it is a form of abuse where you're using an image to perpetrate that abuse. Um, even if you think it's funny, it, the, the impact is still, you know, very much, uh, similar to experiencing offline sexual assault or abuse or harassment, where there's feelings of anxiety um, among some students. Another thing that made me interested in this was um, Nancy Jo Sales, to my knowledge, she was the first journalist or author to write about this um, in the public sphere in her um, book, American Girls, Social Media and the Secret Life of Teenagers, where she documents that um, teen girls thought about killing themselves once they realized they were on their school slut page. And then yeah. she also found out that they were being used in the military. So, um, in the U S military, so, so specific, you know, to different, I'm not sure different subsets within the military. And so, um, we have this term, which is good because now laws can, um, be a little bit more systemized if we've got the same kind of terminology, but it's different state to state. Um, yeah. And then, of course, in the U.S., how laws sort of evolve with um, different cases, you know, being brought to light and being shared, then different arguments can form. And so it'll be a while, I think, before there's any systematic um, approach to preventing or, you know, punishing this type of behavior. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like in Ireland, it took four years to get the law passed because no one was just really interested in it. And then when that Discord server leaked, then obviously there was no kind of going back. But if we go back to the the sales book there, it's just really, you know, she she talks about there's no real kind of guidebook for young girls to like figure all this stuff out. So she said, um, you know, um, she used to read Judy Bloom, which shout out to Judy Bloom was amazing as a teenager. She was great. But then she said, um, you know, there's nothing for them to turn to, to know how do I react to this? So she interviewed 200 teenage girls and she said that they're, they're facing that enormous pressure to post like hot or very, very kind of graphic pictures of themselves. And if they're not posting it themselves, the images are being stolen and posted on their, be- not on their behalf, but by other people. So it's like, how on earth do you deal with that as a young person when you're trying to figure out life? Teenage life is hard enough as it is. And then you have all this and you have parents who never experienced this because the, just the technology wasn't there at that time. Like, it just feels like they're kind of adrift in this world of trying to figure it out by themselves. Yeah. I mean, could you, I am so grateful that I just barely made it through high school without social media. The, we texted each other and we could text each other photos, but it was like a dollar a photo or something. It took forever (laughs) to to load on the the flip phones and what have you. Um, Or the screen was, you know, the size of a postage stamp. So it, yeah it's very pixelated yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so I'm really glad I didn't have to deal with that so um but we have a huge issue so we have Instagram and Facebook you know now just um you know new inside information release that they have been aware of how problematic this is for girls mental health and part of that what's not being said is yeah there's these unrealistic standards about life and bodies and things like that. But there's also a lot of interpersonal coercion occurring where, like you're saying, you're either, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you don't post these pictures of of yourself, are you hot? Are you pretty? Are you, you know, worthy of love and flirting and wantedness? Um, You know, so it's really, it's really just impossible to find a balance there for, for young women and girls. I mean, for people in general, like regardless of gender identity, but I think particularly, um, given how, when images of, I think it's really important to know how gendered this is because when images of girls in high school, for example, go viral, um, or semi-nude images, the reputational damage that that, you know, incurs is far worse than a boy who's a dick pic, as they're colloquially referred to. Um, if that goes viral, people do tend to respond to that with humor. It might be a little bit embarrassing, but people tend to move on. Whereas for girls, it's, it tends to stick as a stain, you know, that follows them, even though, um, they might've never wanted it to be leaked in the first. I mean, they usually never, people don't intend usually when they send images to one another, they're not intending that image to go viral. So it is really unfortunate. Yeah. And it just, uh, you know, um, we had, um, 
Mary Miguel on the podcast before and she she wrote a book called The Visibility Trap and it was like how to you know manage being a woman on the internet and it was like you have to be visible for your career and to connect with people but at the same time that visibility brings misogyny and violence along with it so it's it's like especially as a teenage girl and you're trying to be sexual you know you're trying to figure out your sex life and we do live digital um intimacy now like that's just part of our thing but then if you're just trying to figure all that out and it, it's just kind of a mess like I know um like you've done your research on um sexting as well and that that's you know great for adults who know what they're up to and um can be really really hot but as a teenager I imagine it's it's a whole there's a lot of different considerations to give to that as a teenager so talk us through what your research found around that well, unfortunately, the research piece is so um, is so far behind the times, even the research that I do, because it is so difficult to get studies approved by our research ethics boards that ask about sexting or pornography use um, or what have you. And so we end up with data that just sort of show an incomplete picture um, but we do know that um, those who are, who we do know that there's a difference between, and I'm talking about just the sexting research as a whole in terms of the field, that we do know that there's a big distinction for adolescents and adults. And then within adolescents, also a little bit with adults, but, um, you know, perhaps less ramifications. But with adolescents, this whole non-consensual versus consensual is really key. So if you are in a partnership and you trust each other and sexting becomes part of your flirting and your intimate exchanges, and it stays within that context, then it's not associated with poor outcomes. It's not necessarily associated with riskier sex or worse mental health issues or substance abuse or what have you. And so, and that makes sense because it is developmentally appropriate for adolescents to have um, intimate sexual and romantic relationships in safe, um, mm -hmm. loving, mutually respectable um, context. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Where it goes wrong and it unfortunately goes wrong too, too, far too often is when that sexting is coerced and it almost always is. So what I work in a lot of schools and I do a lot of parent education and I do a lot of professional development education for staff working in public schools. And one of the things that um, I teach that I think it's important for us to think about when we're approaching sexting is that we want our young people, and think about just ourselves being in grown-up relationships, how important it is for us to be vulnerable to enjoy those relationships, how much in, how important it is for us to trust to enjoy those relationships. And sending a nude image of yourself or a sexualized image of yourself it, to somebody you love, and we can say adolescents don't know what love is, but they do just as much as, as adults do. They don't have the experience of heartache necessarily yet, but for them, it's very real. Mm -hmm. We can't necessarily yeah. discount that realness. Um, that is a quality we want to, to, you know, foster in them. Yes, be vulnerable, learn how to trust. Um, those are qualities that we want as adults. What we don't want is what we refer to as antisocial qualities, which doesn't mean being shy. It means being mean. 
And the antisocial quality is I'm going to take this. Oh, look at, she sent me this image. Now I'm going to share it with all my friends. That's what we want to prevent. So for schools and parents, my biggest thing is usually what happens is I get phone calls and they're like, oh, I can't believe this girl did this thing. What's wrong with her? Lots of victim blaming um, if, you know, and, and, and sex goes viral at a school. And really the whole focus should be on that usually boy, but sometimes who sent it, who, who made it public in the first place, because that image was never meant to be public. And we can talk about how she had poor judgment, how she should have known better, how she should have had better boundaries, but she knows all that. But what he doesn't know is that this is harassment. It is abuse. It is aggressive. It's even violent to do this kind of a thing. That's the behavior we want to squash. So um, the sexting education programs are really focused on just not doing it in the first place, which is not realistic. No, it's like abstinence only like people will have sex. Like that's just life. It's it's, that's not the issue, you know? Right. Right. And that like, so that the victim blaming part drives me bananas half the time. But like, is there any recognition from the boys doing this? And, you know, predominantly boys are, are the ones, you know, storing these discord servers and stuff. Like how do they like it, it's sexual violence. They are perpetrators of sexual violence. Is there any acknowledgement of that? Do they revel in that title? Do they just kind of try and deny that that's what they're doing? Like what's, what's their level of acceptance that this is such a shitty violent thing to do to somebody? You know, uh, that is a great research question. And that's kind of what we're focusing on in this next year or two of research is what are the perceptions of those who are engaged in this? You know, anecdotally, I can tell you by working with college students in focus groups kind of settings or classroom settings, like a human sexuality course, or going, being invited to give talks at schools with adolescents themselves. Um, I, I don't think younger boys really understand just how hurtful and harmful it is. Um, And I've heard, you know, anecdotally, I don't know if this is required or not, but um, for a lot of cisgendered heterosexual men, a lot of them will say, you know, I didn't realize how bad that all was until I was married or until I had kids or until they reached some, you know, age and stage of life. And unfortunately, then looked back at um, everything. I think that it was really well, um, that concept was really well illustrated in a, the film, A Promising Young Woman. Oh yeah, and, yeah. You know, of like of this idea of boys being bad, you know, it's just all fun and games, you know, until it's not, until something goes really wrong. And unfortunately things do go really wrong in a lot of situations, but I think that's part of male privilege is, is having the privilege of not really even being aware of how much your actions negatively impact others. But it's bizarre to get to a point in life uh, as a, as a teenager, which, you know, like there is levels of maturity and stuff, but if you're propping up a drunk girl to take a picture of you, surely some part of your brain has to go, you know what? 
there's maybe something wrong with this particular situation. And then not even like the propping up of a drunk girl, mm. taking the picture and then deciding I'm going to share this image. Like, how do you get to that point in life where it's like something like that is fun and acceptable in your world and rewarded? Because they're I know. rewarded with, with macho friends who are going, oh, you're such a legend for doing that. I know. I know. I it's hard to believe. Um, I mean, there's some people, you know, cause I work with a lot of child developmental psychologists, and, you know, child psychologists in general in my world. And they really emphasize the need for teaching empathy at younger ages, you know, preschool kinder in the U S what we call preschool kindergarten, you know, early grade school. And that maybe that would prevent a lot of these these issues from occurring that if they had those skills, sort of like when, when we talk as sex educators or relationship educators about how we can teach consent to young kids, you know, outside of sexual con- contexts, like mm-hmm. consent for imaginative play or playing with each other's toys and things like that, then maybe that would help. But it is hard to, it is hard to believe. I know one time I, um, you can't call it babysitting. They were in middle school, but um, this boy and his friends, and they were more privileged, you know, middle, middle, upper class kids, but they would get in these huge fights and then they would steal alcohol from grocery stores and things and they would videotape it and they would put this on their, you know, at the time, MySpace profiles and such and it's like you're committing crimes and then you're putting the evidence online yeah not not the smartest it's just dumb (laughs) for so many reasons yeah so but it just doesn't yeah it is a failing in our society as well and I struck I walked through um a clothing shop the other day and it's actually um Tesco which is like a giant supermarket here and they sell clothes as well and all the girls clothes had things like be kind written on them and all the boys were like dinosaurs and diggers and stuff like this and it was like none of the boys things had be kind on it so that's you know a lot a lot of people who are socialized as female it's like you're told to be kind and you know sit down you know just be be a good girl kind of thing whereas boys don't necessarily get taught that same kind of thing so it's like how do we tackle that that societal norm as well, where it's not just girls who have to be kind and be be um, obedient little kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, gosh, yeah, the toy. Don't even get me started on the toys and the clothes. <laughs> it's a whole other um, podcast. It is. As well. It is. Uh, yeah. oh, yes, I had a. Yeah, I've actually in. It, it, but it is a point. It is a great teachable moment. And it is a great way for us to, you know, acknowledge if we have friends who are having babies or, you know, nieces and nephews, our own children, what have you, you know, think twice about the kinds of books and clothes and toys you gift because they do send these messages. And it is, it is pretty, um, it, 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 it's disturbing and, you know, research supports it too, that we are way more likely in observational studies to break up a fight between girls, you know, preschool, you know, three to six-year-old girls and say, you know, that they need to be nice and that, that that's not acceptable behavior, you know, especially if they were to hit each other or something. And so they learn very early, this is not okay. 
Whereas we studies show that we tend to wait to intervene with boys because, you know, boys are just being boys and they'll figure it out. Um, and so there's, there is some, a lot of socialization there to be like, Hey, part of being a boy and having other boys as friends is showing how mean and tough you can really be. And so they provide lots of examples of that for each other. So you're like establishing violence as acceptable at Mm -hmm. such an, an early age and, yeah, as we see the the ramifications of that as an adult is creating these kind of pages and stuff, which is horrific. I mean, like, and you also talk about, um, you know, your goal is to prevent sexual harassment and violence through education. And that's particularly education that deconstructs harmful cultural norms. So what does that look like in reality? And, and when can we start doing this? I, I would imagine like the minute a child is born, but, um, you know, womb to tomb kind of approach. Yeah. yeah. So I think we're, I think within Western culture, at least within a lot of the U S although the U S is becoming more and more polarized as time goes on. But, um, and, and I think within a lot of European countries as well, parenting has really changed the concept of you know, being more egalitarian with your boys versus girls, or even though the the clothes and the toys and all of that is still very um, segregated, there's more openness. Um, And there's even research that have shown in terms of polling uh, American um, parents that they're more willing to give girls, you know, um, tractors and things like that. Um, but we're not necessarily more willing to give boys Barbie dolls and princess stuff. So yeah, that, that. yeah it's very one-sided. Yeah, so that's definitely yeah. a next step. Um, but what I notice as being as a parent myself, but also, you know, studying this is the school context is huge because even though we try to do various different things in our own home, we send our kids off to school and then, oh my gosh, so much of, you know, whatever we have tried to foster in them, those qualities get squashed. Like I remember when my daughter came home one day from kindergarten, she said she wasn't allowed to play dinosaurs because the boy said she couldn't play dinosaur because she was a girl. And so then the next day, you know, I talked to the teacher and she said, okay, they can play dinosaurs, but she had to be the mom dinosaur. She couldn't be one of the mean, violent dinosaurs. She had to be the nice one. And so that's really the beginning of the stuff. So education really looks at trying to, part of it is changing parents. Part of it is changing people who work in schools so that the school climate and environment is different because um, that is a primary, you know, source of socialization. So one of the things that's that's pretty controversial, but I'm okay with doing anything at this point is yeah. getting is getting boys, particularly boys with lots of social power, to use that masculinity and social power. So we're using patriarchy to fight patriarchy here um, to intervene. Like the masculine cool thing to do to really assert your dominance and show just how manly you are is to shut down the guys who are doing that kind of thing, um, usually, usually to girls and then to boys who are not, usually to gay boys or boys who are, you know, just not as um, present as masculine, that kind of thing. Because a lot of the homophobia 
Oh yeah, it's, it's that is connected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And is that so? Is that things like you know the adult extension of that is maybe something like remember the the Gillette ads that yeah. was like, is this really the best a man can be? When it was like just awful examples, and there's such a huge reaction to that, a huge pushback to it. I know, I know there really was, I think I have a post article on that, right? A, a blog, I don't know, but yeah, there was a lot of pushback to it. Um, and I understand the pushback, but we have to start somewhere. And I, I have yet to see, um, I've yet to see any scientific evidence at least that has shown that that kind of approach has negative impacts. So for example, there's a a program called coaching boys into men, and it's where you train the athletic coaches of high schools and colleges, you know, about these kinds of sexual double standards, heteronormativity, um, you know, this whole like performing masculinity stuff. And, um, you get them to model, talk about that kind of stuff with their, um, athletes and to model different behaviors. Mm. And that's actually been effective at changing attitudes towards sexual violence and willingness to intervene for brilliant. Yeah. So I, I think that would be great. Now, of course, it'd be wonderful if we could just teach everybody, all the boys to just not be violent, be nice, everybody just kumbaya and, you know, hold hands and stuff. But um, maybe that might happen a hundred years from now, but like, I want to do something that might change the next five years, right? That really might help change the experience of young people right now. And maybe that is getting the hyper-masculine guys that have the social power in the schools um, to sort of police the other, um, other yeah. ones. But we'll- it would be definitely interesting to see how that would <laughs> look on the ground and, and, and empower people to stand up and be that kind of, I suppose, the active bystander who, who would, would challenge it. But when it comes to, I suppose the other side of it is, you know, we've spoken to people on the podcast who've been victims of image-based abuse. And, um, when we had, um, the launch of a new initiative called hotline.ie and that's for victims of image-based abuse that they can um, report through there which is great that it's like finally here in Ireland um, but when the people launching it, it was she was blackmailed by a girl the other people on the podcast it was girls that actually kept um, sending the images around so um, it would you know I think all of them it was a heterosexual experience but it was I think and I think the boys leaked it in some cases then girls filmed it and others, but then it was constantly then perpetuated by girls. And it's, I suppose it's that internalized misogyny as well of, of just, you know, keeping other people down and and it's a new way to bully as well. I mean, girl bullies and any kind of bullies in school, I suppose, find anything to bully other people about. But if you have someone's nudes, that's a pretty effective weapon to bully somebody with. So how do we deal with the girls who do this as well? Yeah. So um, that kind of thing has been referred to as a, what's called like a patriarchal bargain where, you know, for subordinate groups, you know, they identify who has the power in whatever organization. So your school, wherever you work and you do whatever you can to be viewed positively in those people's eyes. And a lot of times that is being racist or sexist or bullying in such a way 
because they want to be considered to be like the cool girls and the girls that don't care about this kind of stuff or the girls, you know, unfortunately who are helping the boys spread the things or what have you. And so, um, I, I would imagine that it wouldn't hurt to at least, you know, educate young people on these norms and these kind of social group realities and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, but perhaps this, this is where empathy would come empathy, you know, teaching empathy to younger kids and, and saying like, Hey, there's going to be, a t- there's going to be periods of your life where you are going to have an opportunity to bring another girl down. And that opportunity might make you more popular. It might give you some sort of power, but is that really something you want to do? Mm-hmm. Is that how you want to gain social power? Because usually if you give people, particularly young people, without telling them not to do something, if you give them some time to think about why they did something, um, sometimes that's called motivational interviewing and like health behavior change research, um, you know, like, oh, so what, what, what's in that for you? What do you like about, you know, sending a new image to your friends? Or what do you like about calling this other girl a slut? Like, what's in that for you? Mm. And sometimes it doesn't work, but a lot of times it'll get people to realize, wow, I am being an ass. Like, Mm. and maybe, maybe I'm doing that because I'm trying to be friends with this person, but do I really need to be friends with that person? If that means I have to be an ass to be, you know, like, yeah, is so, that friendship really worth it? But exactly. Yeah. Not necessarily just to be an ass, but to be a, a perpetrator of sexual violence, like just as much as the guys. Like exactly. They are committing sexual violence each time they share it. So it's just mm-hmm. perhaps for different motives, but at the same time, uh, they are still perpetrators of sexual violence. Totally. And, I can and, imagine. And that's that. where having the school policies come into play. So we're doing some policy research because schools they they can't keep up with the technology but if if there is something clearly state, stated in the code of contact conduct if you send you know a nude image of a student at the school via text via whatever to anybody else um, and that's not an image of yourself then that that is you know violation of whatever um, you know, relationship or sexual misconduct or, you know, student conduct, whatever. And that can result in expulsion, suspension, whatever. So that the school then has some kind of power to be like, Hey, we knew that you did this. So here's your punishment. Cause usually what happens is schools are like, are we allowed to punish for this? And then students are like, well, I didn't even know that was against the rules. There's nothing in the rules that say, you know, this, so developing those policies that are very specific, because then that, that put dissemination, like what we, in research, what we call dissemination of nudes, that then, that's then the behavior that's punished. Sending an image of yourself to somebody else, if that, you know, is defined differently, then, then that's an acknowledgement that like, that's a different kind of behavior than yeah. this. It's more of an element of consent in, in that part of things. So yeah. but then obviously in a school, you're talking about children and sexually explicit images of children, which is a whole different level of conversation mm-hmm. to add to that, because then everyone's a perpetrator of, of abuse in that case, including the person who sends that image. But that's a very nuanced, hard conversation to have with people. Yeah. Oh, yes. Especially when, because teenagers are great at pointing out 
the hundreds and or dozens of, of other teens who've gotten away with, you know, driving while drunk or, you know, or had unprotected sex or pulled out and didn't, you know, he pulled out and she didn't get pregnant. So I can do this too. Or, you know, they sent suits, nudes to each other and everything turned out fine. So like, why would I get charged with, you know, child pornography or, you know, whatever laws. Um, but that's one of the ways that schools can create, you know, why they need to create specific policies that are, you know, school specific, like, um, this law may recognize that this is you know, distribution of child sexual abuse imagery. Um, but we are not going to go to the authorities. We might not necessarily go to the authorities, but we're going to take these actions instead. And then if they see somebody, you know, in their school, like, Hey, you know, Audrey or whatever, she did get suspended for sending nudes or, or what have you, or yeah. for disseminating nudes, not sending one herself. Mm. Um, then, then that can, you know, that might serve as a deterrent. Maybe look, anything helps, I suppose. At that yeah. Stage to try and get it going as we learn, but, um, yeah, it's it's such an it's a, such a massive area, and it feels like we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg for it a lot because the technology moves so quick. I mean, if I had this conversation with you two years ago, TikTok wasn't out then, or was it? I don't know, but TikTok is really it new. wasn't. It wasn't what it is now. That's yeah, sure. definitely. And even looking a year or two's time, there's going to be a whole different social media platform. And I think currently, is it Instagram talking about making a specific platform just for teenagers? And it's like yes, I think. Brother at the under 13 crowd yep. yeah yeah I don't know just yeah. uh, like good in theory we all know what the reality will just be a hot mess basically in, yeah, in many just, ways exactly yeah it, it's it's a lot and I think you know a lot of parents are struggling you know to ex figure out what to do and stuff so that's why I'm really grateful that that like people like there yourself are out there kind of trying to tackle this and, and create different worlds and stuff like that. So um, where can people find you if, if they want to learn more? You said you're, you're very published as well. You're all over the place as well, which is fab. Um, but yeah, where, where can people find you to learn some more about this? Yeah. So if you go to meganmoz.com or you can Google Megan Moz plus MSU professor or Megan Moz plus pornography. Sometimes that comes up. Yeah. <laughs> not not, not nude images of me, but there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of things I've written on uh, pornography or how to talk to kids about that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, yeah. And my, you know, my biggest advice, so, you know, just if you are, if you do interact with young people, whether you're a parent, you know, or you've got cousins or ne nieces, nephews, neighbors, what have you, just ask them a lot of questions. Hmm. You know, that's, that's the best way to, to get behavior to change, telling them not to do something doesn't, it's doesn't not evidence-based. Yeah. No, 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 definitely. <laughs> Even not. if we want to tell them don't, you know, call each other sluts or don't send, you know, nude images of, don't share nude images that were sent to you to other people. Um, those kinds of direct, you know, pieces of advice can occur after you've done some, some questioning. What do you like about this? Why do you think people do this? Um, you know, do you think there's any problems with this? Like, what's the good stuff here? Like, why, you know, why is this fun? What's enjoyable about this? 
Yeah, that's a really good thing because then you have to think about why I enjoy an oh, unconscious person. That? Like, you know, and that's maybe they hadn't thought about it in that particular way before. It was just something that was just done and the norm. And yeah, so oh, a bit more critical thinking skills might be. I mean, we all do. You know, there's so many things that we just we do in this life because everybody else does or we do because we've been doing it for decades or we, you know, even new behaviors, yeah. we rarely take a lot of time and to think about why it is we're doing things. And, you know, what is this, what is this doing? What am I getting out of this? And you'll start to realize, you know, gosh, there's so many things I do that do not serve me. And I think for young people, you know, maybe even if it, even if it doesn't change their behavior tomorrow, you've planted this seed for them to be conscious about it in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, look, that's all we can do for now. Well, we hopefully rapidly change society very, yeah. very quickly and holistically. <laughs> well, so. thank you for the people yeah. like you who have podcasts and these platforms to reach so many different folks. And, and I think, you know, we are in this information age and, um, you know, I think it is going to get better. We just need to get through this initial, you know, um, I mean, very new, this, this whole concept of social media and, and having an internet connected device with us at yeah. 24-7. This is very new for humanity. Yeah. And, and children having access to that as well is, is yeah. really, really new as well. So yeah, we have, we have a long way to go, but look, hopefully if the podcast is still going in about five, 10 years, we'll have you back on and yes, see where we have been since then. Cause it, it's just, it'll rapidly change, you know, it will in, in ways we're not going to expect as well. So hopefully for the positive, we will hold on to that hope anyway but um Megan listen it's been fantastic talking to you I wish it was um a nicer subject but I think it is important to talk about this as well to really kind of understand what is actually going on out there in the world because if we don't know we can't tackle it you know absolutely yeah thanks for having me it was lovely to chat about it no very lovely to chat with you I know I wish we could chat about we didn't have to chat about these kinds of things but um if if we need to it, it, this was this was great yeah no absolutely the way you know has to has to be done unfortunately yeah. but yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and definitely you know I encourage all my listeners to look into this as well because we we can all play a part in tackling this on tons and tons of different levels as well so um thanks Mill for listening everybody and I'll chat to you next week <laughs>